This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 12, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. When Vanguard founder Jack Bogle pioneered the Index Fund, a mutual fund that tracks a specific set of stocks or bonds, he was doing something revolutionary, giving small investors an opportunity to cheaply buy into the market. Bogle recently passed away, but it's worth taking a moment to recognize just how substantially he changed the business of investing and how he gave the little guy a massive leg up. Cato's Diego Zuluaga comments. Most people don't know uh, who Jack Bogle is. Uh, he's passed away recently, and uh, he was very, very old. He's 89 years old, uh, but sharp as a tack, as far as I could tell, right up uh, to the end. And he ought to be remembered, and just correct me if, you, if your uh, view differs, he ought to be remembered as this, one, a pioneer in investing, and a real champion of getting people with not a lot of money access to the same kinds of investments that uh, very wealthy people had access to by just dramatically cutting out costs related to investing. Is that about right? I think that's absolutely right. Jack Bogle was the founder of Vanguard, which is one of the biggest fund managers in the world. And um, he was, as you mentioned, a champion of the ordinary investor. He looked at what returns ordinary investors were getting in his time in the 60s and 70s uh, and saw that a lot of the return that people got was dissipated in manager fees, in other costs, in transaction costs, and uh, that a lot of the return that the market delivered on the U.S. capital stock wasn't getting to their ultimate owners. And so his answer to what he saw as an, as an issue was to create what is now known as an index fund, which is a fund that invests in all of the stocks listed on an index and to lower costs dramatically by avoiding this stock picking exercise that active managers had been doing for a long time. And, and let's be clear, when, when you're talking about returns that were not being delivered to investors, we're talking about somebody taking 1%, up to 2% or sometimes more of a portfolio annually without regard to market performance just for the privilege of you having this person actively manage the investment absolutely right so to give to give some background companies will have earnings every year and some of it will be reinvested and some of it will be delivered to the owners of the company in the form of dividends. And that together is the rate of return that you get on your investments. Now, the US stock market has been delivering anywhere between 5 and 9% per year uh, for the last few decades uh, in annual returns as a whole. And so the idea is that as an investor, you should get most of that. Now, if the person picking your investments on your behalf, choosing the companies in which you put your savings, is taking a big chunk of that money, whether because they're highly skilled and they're doing a very valuable service to you or otherwise, that means that your rate of return goes down and that really compounds over time. So to give some measure of the effect, if you put $1,000 uh, into the S&P 500, uh, today, and you got, say, annually a conservative return, say 5% per year for the next 20 years. If the fee that your manager charges you is 1% every year, you would just over double that amount. You would have about $2,200 at the end of those 20 years. If, on the other hand, the fee was a tenth of that, 0.1%, 
which doesn't seem like that big of a gap, you would get $400 extra. That's 40% more of a compound return, as it's called, as a result simply of having reduced cost. And so that was Bogle's insight. He said, rather than trying to pick the best manager for your money, which can be a fool's errand because everybody who outperforms the market is going to have on the other side somebody who underperforms the market because the market return is the sum of everybody that's investing. And the fraction of people who consistently outperform the market is vanishingly small. Very small, exactly. We must differentiate between outperforming the market once a year, once every 20 years or so and being consistently an outperformer, right? And there are very, very few instances of the latter. So rather than do that, focus on lowering the cost of management of people's funds. And that's what Bogle brought about at the time when Vanguard was still a very small operator, the typical fund manager fee was what I mentioned earlier, 1%. And for a passive fund of the sort that Vanguard was beginning to offer, it was about 0.2.3%. The popularity and the advent of index funds on a widespread basis not only meant that a lot more people had access to the cheaper funds, but there was a lot of pressure on the active funds, on the ones that are not index-based, to do more at a lower cost. And so what you see since then is a decline both in the fees that people like Bogle and his passive investment-based um, fund managers, that that style of investing charges to about 1.1%, 0.05, but also on the active side, no longer is 1% the norm. And it's weird that it took so long for that kind of innovation to come about. Like in retrospect, it seems obvious that in any given year, uh, an active fund manager, a human being, well, maybe one in three of them is, is going to beat the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're paying a, a massive premium to have that person do that when you could dramatically cut that premium down to you know, uh, some Vanguard funds or some Fidelity funds now charge nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> to, right. to hold the investment. You're paying, you know, you'd otherwise be paying this massive premium to beat the market maybe once every five years. That's right. Well, you know, Caleb, that we libertarians spend a lot of time talking about how the economy is a spontaneous order and how things happen by people interacting with each other uh, without necessarily having a prior plan of what the economy as a whole should look like. Uh, And, you know, that's one of the beauties of the capitalist system is that we don't have to know everything that's going on in the economy in order to interact productively with each other, right? And I think in this case, um, it's the same kind of forces at play. It's the fact that predicting where the market's going to go on any uh, given basis is very, very difficult. Information is very quickly incorporated into markets. And so therefore, if you as a retail guy, as a, as a regular guy, are trying to go to the market where there are millions of operators uh, pouring through uh, balance sheets and company uh, income statements on a daily basis and try to outperform what everybody else is doing, it's going to be a, a very uh, challenging thing. At the same time, though, it is human hubris to try and do better than the rest, to try and do better than the average, right? It's like drivers. Every every driver thinks they're better than average. I think that that partly explains why index funds took a while to catch on. Also, of course, some people really do believe that uh, active strategies are better, and that's completely within their right. And indeed, some people, say Warren Buffett, uh, have done very, very well over a very extended period of time by doing stock picking, basically, which is what active investing amounts to, choosing companies that you believe are particularly promising or undervalued or going to deliver a high return in the future. And that's perfectly fine. But for people who, uh, what they're looking to do is get a good return on their investment over a long period of time, who have to save for a 401k or something like that, index funds are a very attractive alternative. All right. So uh, Jack Bogle essentially created this industry 
cut a lot of people out of you know collecting funds who frankly weren't doing a very good job and that's not to you know poo poo those people it's just a really difficult job to beat the market year in and year out um, but there is this concern that as you said the, the markets the you know free markets are these interactions of millions of people uh, each bringing their own perspectives their own local knowledge to bear but is there a risk in having a dramatic fraction of investors investing passively and uh, allowing a much a much smaller fraction of investors actually determining what those interactions look like that is the bulk of what is held in the marketplace and in at least the stock market and the bond market are uh, held by people who are not interacting with those investments at all maybe it's a risk we will have to see. I don't think we have any evidence to believe that the rise of index funds, so index funds, so uh, listeners know, comprise about 45% of equity investments in the United States, which is quite a high figure, but elsewhere in the world, they're under 20, 25%. So it's still not even a majority player in this. But some people worry that if index funds continue to grow their market share in terms of assets under management, we will, as you say, go to a world in which nobody is thinking about where the money is going. Very few people are actually trying to see how companies are doing, who is using too much capital, who too little, and how it should be reallocated. Now, that's a perfectly reasonable objection, but it doesn't mean that you should force people to go uh, into active funds or that uh, in any way active fund management becomes less attractive than it was before. If anything, the profits to be made from actually sifting out accurate information and making good decisions are even greater than they used to be because the entire market's going to reward you and a lot of index investors are going to follow you, um, as, you as you make the right call. Some people are concerned, and this I think is theoretically uh, a sounder argument, that because index funds own the whole market, if, say, you have five airlines, all of which are listed on the same index, and they're competing in a market like the United States airline market, that as a result of having all the same ownership, there's less of an incentive to compete with each other, right? Because they have all the same, the same shareholders. It's not in any shareholder's interest to have one company undercut another because then everybody's profits go down, which is bad for consumers because we don't have that competitive process that is so beneficial to costs and so on. Um, now, that may theoretically happen. But again, the evidence so far is scant. And what you see instead is active managers actually looking at within that uh, group of companies that might be owned by an index fund, which ones are more promising, which are less profitable, and they make their own investments as a result. So index funds are not determining outcomes. They're just following whatever the uh, market describes. The point being that you still have a massive reward for good information and good calls, but you're competing with the people who don't uh, use information. They just lower cost. On the flip side of that, to the extent that you want the interests of average Americans to be aligned with the interest of the market as a whole, it would seem reasonable that uh, making it very inexpensive for the average person to buy a chunk of the whole market to become a little more interested in making sure that markets are performing the way we want them to. Absolutely. It's a great way to introduce people to compound returns, to um, you know the fact that it's not inexpensive to uh, invest and save, but that it can be very rewarding. And that, uh, you know, 
Capitalism is an enterprise that is open not just to high-flying people with millions of dollars, uh, but to anyone who is willing to risk their savings and you know take part in in this idea of widespread share ownership and diversification and all of those other things that make a, a modern free market economy. Diego Zuluaga is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 